Speaking of that, Judges chapter 1. The book of Judges is a group of uh, 13 men and women that God raises up at different points in history over a 400-year period um, for Israel to get delivered from their own backsliding. Um, The first two chapters that we're going to read, we won't even get to the first judge today, but the first two set up kind of the atmosphere for it. It kind of lets us know what, uh, oh, why they're heading in that direction. It's not necessarily uh, chronological. The first chapter talks about their problems. The second chapter, again, goes over the death of Joshua, which has already taken place. But um, just trying to set us up for Israel they're supposed to be walking with the Lord now. Joshua's passed on to be with the Lord, and they're just supposed to obey. Every leader, every family, every individual is just supposed to obey God and do his will. Um, and, and if they had done that and do do that, everything goes, goes fine. But they don't. Um, you're going to go through several ups and downs in this book, 13 of them. And it starts off with a revival. It ends up with uh, a deliverance. And the process in between is they become complacent, Um, they rebel against God, they get oppressed by their enemies, they repent, God raises up a deliverer, and then there's a revival again. And this is the cycle that they go through. There is some application for our own lives, unfortunately. We can see our own lives in such a way many times. A lot of people go through this. Maybe you have relatives that do, or maybe you do yourself. Um, It's designed to break that cycle. It, It helps to know, you know, you know, why am I going around this mountain again? That's a term we use. Why do you go around this mountain again? Well, that comes from the nation of Israel in the wilderness, spending 40 years in the wilderness, walking around the same mountain for 40 years. Why are we going around this mountain again? Well, there's a reason. It's because we keep rebelling against God. We can't get over it. We can't get past it. We keep falling into the same habits, we call them. And actually, habits are just decisions over and over and over again. And so this is for us to learn from. Now, I'm going to try to take it from a different perspective at different times and just think about it as the judges from their perspective. Because although all this is taking place in the nation of Israel and they're going rebellious against God in their ways, there's always a group of people that don't want to rebel against God. There's always a group of people that are getting kind of pulled along with the rest of them and wish this wasn't happening. That's where God pulls these judges from. They're imperfect people. They're not the greatest there's going to have a lot of human faults exposed in this. And that's the beauty of God's word. It doesn't sugarcoat things. We're going to read about Samson. We're going to read about Gideon. We're going to read about different judges that are raised up and they've got problems. But they love God and they want to follow him. And with all their faults, they're still used by God greatly. And I guess that's more where we fit in. You're not the, you are the choir, you know, um, <laughs> it's the folks that don't come. Those are the folks that sometimes we get brought along with in their downward spiral. But you're here. You've made a decision this morning to come to church and to worship the true and living God, to set yourselves apart. There's a lot of things you could be doing, but you're not. You're here. You've got your Bibles open and you're ready to hear what God has to say. This is about us and what we can do and what God wants to do with us in this world that is go in the wrong direction most of the time. But it doesn't mean we have to, and it doesn't mean that God won't use us to bring them out of it. And so um, that's the perspective hopefully we'll take. So again, verse 1, chapter 1. Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, who shall be first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. 
Indeed, I have delivered the land into his hand. So Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me to my allotted territory that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I will likewise go with you to your allotted territory. What's the problem with this? What did God actually say? And this is something we have to get into our hearts. And this is something the judges fall into too, but we can as well. God said, I'm going to let Judah go up and I will deliver the land into his hand. Singular. Judah can go by himself. God's with him. But what does Judah do? Before I go, does anybody want to come with me? Does Simeon want to come with me? There's an apprehension there. There's a little unsuredness about the Lord. There's a little lack of trust. There's a trust in strength. There's a trust in numbers. There's a trust in man's wisdom there. When God said, no, Judah, you can go do it by yourself if you, if you choose to go with me. That's something we need to keep in mind also as we walk with the Lord. It doesn't matter whether anybody's alongside of you or not. You do what God's called you to do. A lot of your friends and family aren't going to understand. A lot of them don't see the same vision you see or have the same heart that you have in these areas. Or it may not be as strong a feeling about things as you have. That's okay. I mean, it's not. You wish they were, but it doesn't mean that you don't go or that you can't go. You go and do what God's called you to do wholeheartedly. And you dive in and trust him. He'll, he'll do it. Even if not everybody's on board, it's okay. You go for it. So he brings his brother with him. And what he means by brother is he means the entire tribe goes up with him. And Simeon went with him. Then Judah went up. And the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand. And they killed 10,000 men at Bezek. And they found Adonai Bezek, the, in Bezek, he's the king. And fought against him, and they defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Then Adonai Bezek fled, and they pursued him and, cut, cut him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and big toes. And Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off used to gather scraps under my table, as I have done, so God has repaid me. Then they brought him to Jerusalem, and there he died. That's kind of gross, actually, but... Um, just because the Bible writes that, and we have to be careful about this when we read Scripture, doesn't mean that God authorized that. Who, who does that? The king out of his own mouth, this Bezek guy out of his own mouth said, this is something I used to do. This is something as a worldly uh, heathen, as a king used to do to other kings, a torturous kind of demeaning, demoralizing event where he cut off their big thumbs and toes and starved them so much that as he ate at his table, they were just waiting for stuff to fall off and they'd scramble and fight for it. And I don't know if he meant that literally, whether they were actually on all fours underneath his table, could have been, they're that weird back then, they were bizarre. Or whether he meant we take the first and the best out of everything and they, they get what the scraps we leave. They get the leftovers, you know. Could have been either way. But that's something that he did. That's something... And God didn't authorize that. He didn't tell them, that's what I want you to do. I want you to, you know, cut off their thumbs and their big toes and, 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 and do that. He did ask them to kill them. I mean, just so we don't get this wrong, God's not exactly merciful towards these guys. I get worried when I begin to look like the world personally, when I find myself reacting in ways that they would react, you know. I, I'm not into showing mercy where God doesn't want to show mercy. I want to obey my king. But I, 
I, I don't like it when I reflect everybody else. I want to be different. I want to be set apart. There's something about that. I don't like it when my chorus or my voice joins the chorus of people that generally I'm against or I'm opposed to. When I find my enemies agreeing with me, I get concerned and I need to check myself. Wait a minute. Where do I really stand here? Am I standing in the right spot? Sometimes a clock's right. A broken, like they say, a broken clock's right twice a day, right? And so sometimes you will find yourself aligned with the enemy, and you don't mean to. It just happened to be that they aligned with you. And sometimes you'll find that in God's Word, you know, also. But it's a good time to check. Uh, am, I, am I walking with the Lord? Am I close? I think it should have checked. Another way to look at this also is, boy, whatever you sow, you reap. That's out of Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 8. This king, his whole life, sowed this kind of torment over the people that he had defeated, and in the end, it happened to him. So there is that. Verse 8. Now the children of Judah fought against Jerusalem and took it. They struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. And afterward, the children of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites who dwelt in the mountains in the south and in the lowland. Then Judah went against the Canaanites who dwelt in Hebron. And now that name of Hebron was formerly Kirjath Arba. And they killed Shishai, uh, uh, Hyman, and Talamai. And from there they went uh, against the inhabitants of Debir. The name of Debir was formerly Kirjath Sefer. Then Caleb said, remember old Caleb, whoever attacks Kirjath Sefer, and this is a, we've already read this, this is out of, uh, this is out of uh, uh, Joshua, but they're going to rehash the story for us. Whoever kills this guy and takes it, it can have my daughter. And we talked about that, and you can get the tape. He wasn't exactly offering up as a, a prize. He was more of a, who, who can, who's going to be the right guy for my daughter? Who's willing to be brave? Who's willing to go up and fight? Who's willing to risk his life for her? And that's the kind of guy I want to marry my daughter kind of thing. So you can you know, get that CD or watch, listen to that online if you want to get more. Now it happened when she came to him after this guy beats whoever and uh, he gets her as his wife. She, the daughter, comes up to him, dad, Caleb, that she urged him to ask her father for a field. And she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, what do you wish? So she said to him, give me a blessing, since you have given me land in the south, give me also springs of water. And we liken that to ourselves. It's a dry land, but with, with us, filled with the Holy Spirit, the rivers of living water flowing out of us, we can make green come out of that dry land. Wherever you're planted, wherever God places you as a fountain for God, be there. It may be dry and desolate, but that is where the fountain is needed. That is where the spring is needed most. Um, we don't need to be in the jungle or the rainforest. It's got enough water. Um, we need to get out there. And so uh, that's a kind of a picture of our lives. And Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. Now, the, the children of Kenite, uh, Moses' father-in-law, went up from the city of Palms with the children of Judah into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the south near Arad. And they went and dwelt among the people. And Judah went with his brother Simeon, and they attacked the Canaanites who inhabited at Zephath and utterly destroyed it. So the name of the city was called Horma. Also, Judah took Gaza with its territory, Eshkelon with its territory, Ekron with its territory. So the Lord was with Judah, and they drove out the mountaineers. But they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland because they had chariots of iron. That was always a, a sticking point for them. Uh, chariots were like tanks back then. Hard to go up against tanks. Um, no doubt that if they had trusted in God completely, they would have beaten them. There's, God's not afraid of 
chariots and tanks, um, but they were. And so this shows a little bit of their own uh, flesh coming out. Ah, we just can't beat these guys. They've got tanks, you know. Um, and so they settle. And that is usually our problem. When we run into a lot of resistance in our lives, in our walk with Jesus, we tend to settle to be, well, let's just, let's just live with the conquered ground that we have. You know, let's not push, push too far. You know, we don't want to push our luck, we might say. Uh, when it had nothing to do with luck, it had to do with God's blessing, and he would have given us the victory if we'd have pressed on. But we decide to hold off and, and to, to just not go everywhere God wants us to go. I struggle with that myself. Um, um, as I get older, I, I realize I've, I've been governed by my fears a lot of my life. Um, I'm afraid to go this far. I'm afraid to do this or to that because I, I'm not sure how I'll perform over there. I know what I can do here. I know uh, my strengths here. Over there, I'm not so sure I'm not going to look like a fool if I go over there. I'm never, you know, it's a fear that you have. Um, and um, a lot of that is because I'm looking at myself, obviously. Um, I'm afraid to go over there and to do that because I don't think I can do that. And there's a lot of eyes in there. Uh, and, and I should be concerned at myself, about myself. But if I'm truly walking with the Lord and God tells me to go over there and God says he wants to do that, then I should have no fear at all and willing to jump right into it. Uh, venture of faith um, and, and to trust the Lord in that. And so when you don't go as far as God wants you to go, it's a good time to reflect, am I evaluating how far I go based on my own strengths? Um, you want to make sure God's speaking to you, first of all. But if you're not going there where God spoke to you to go, is it because you're evaluating your own strengths and you're not sure that you can do it or you have the resources? And honestly, we never do. It's always God's resources. It's always his strength. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by the strength. It's by the spirit that we have these victories. And so they don't have victory. And that shows their lack of trust in the Lord. Verse 20. And they gave Hebron to Caleb, as Moses had said. Then he expelled from there the three sons of Anak. Those are the big giants. But the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. They fought against it. They set it on fire, but they never got rid of all the Jebusites. So the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. It's never really been conquered. It's always been a divided city. It was always meant to be Israel's city, but it's always been a divided city still is to this day in some ways. And the house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. So the house of Joseph sent men to spy out Bethel. The name of the city was formerly Luz. And when the spies saw a man coming out of the city, they said to him, please show us the entrance to the city, and we will show you mercy. So he showed them the entrance of the city, and they struck the city with the edge of the sword. But they let the man and all his family go, and the man went into the land of the Hittites, built a city, and called its name Luz, which it is to this day. So this guy rats out his family and friends up there in the city to tell them how to get into this, this super secret entrance just so he can save his own neck. Um, and and that is, uh, that's the way of the world. However, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shean and its villages, nor Tanakh and its villages, or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages, or the inhabitants of um, Iblim and its villages, or the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages, for the Canaanites were determined to dwell in that land. That's a lot of 
people that didn't go like they were supposed to. Those are a lot of uh, enemies left um, just amongst you. Um, you know, you think about cancer and, 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 oh, we've got so many situations in your body. We've done a scan and uh, there's this spot, this spot, this spot, and this spot. We're going to just take care of one of them. Well, as a patient, you'd be like, hey, why don't we get rid of all of it? I'm up for that, you know. Let's not just take out 20%. Let's take out 100% of this stuff because I'm not interested in finding out whether this stuff's going to attack me or not later on. Um, statistics show that it will. So let's just deal with it altogether. Nobody would do that with their own body. They'd say, yeah, get rid of all of it. Nobody would want just 20%. And we see the problem here. We're going to leave all these little cancer cells throughout our body, the body of Israel. And we're just going to hope for the best. Well, that's not real good. And that's not very offensive. Um, that's not even defensive. And so they leave all these little towns and they're going to come back to bite them. Every one of these Canaanite villages is going to come back to bite them. And it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites under tribute, uh, but did not completely drive them out. So in other words, they thought they had a, a reins on them or a leash on them. Nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer. So the Canaanites dwelt in Gezer among them. Nor did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Kitron. You see how he's setting us up for the judges? This is why Israel falls. Has to give us all this background so we know what was the problem. If they had driven everybody out and just had a one solid border all around Israel to defend, it would have been a little bit easier. But they've got all these insurgents, potential insurgents, embedded in their own country. Little cells that are just waiting to break out and... Uh, and that's the problem. And so he's setting us up. They left them there and they left them there and they put them there and they, they put them under tribute, but they never drove them out over and over and over again. We see this. Verse 31, nor did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Echo or the inhabitants of Sidon or of Aleb, um, uh, Akizba, Helba, uh, Efkin, or Ephik, excuse me, uh, or Rehob. So the Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. Nor did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh or the inhabitants of Beth Hanath. But they dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath were put under tribute to them. And the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountains. And that's a switch there. Not only are they just letting these folks dwell amongst them, here's where we see their first defeat, and we also see Israel's first boundaries set by the enemy. Boundaries set by God are wonderful, but boundaries set by the enemy, well, they inhibit us, and they keep us from doing what God wants us to do. So the Amorites, these enemies of Israel, forced the children of, it, children of Dan into the mountains, for they would not allow them to come down to the valley. And the Amorites were determined to dwell in Mount Heres. Um, and at Ajailon, um, and, and, and in uh, Shalabim. <laughs> Yet when the strength of the house of Joseph became greater, they were put under tribute. Now, boundaries of the Amorites was from uh, the ascent of Akirabim, uh, from Selah, and upward. So there's our boundaries. All right, chapter two. We're getting through this. We got to get through this, okay? Stick with me. Now the angel of the Lord shows up, and that's capitalized. This is Jesus, the Christophanes in the Old Testament. Um, Jesus is not a created being. He never was a created being. He's always existed. We have to get that into our hearts. Angel does not mean winged creature. We get that idea. Cherubim is an angel, but only because he's a messenger as well. Angel means messenger of God. 
It's all angel means. He's a messenger of God. I can be an angel, <laughs> a messenger of God, you know, or you can be an angel, a messenger of God. Um, so when he says the angel of the Lord, when it's capitalized, he means this is Christ. This is the son of God, always existing, not the first creation, um, always existing, everlasting father, everlasting son, everlasting Holy Spirit. So this is, this is him. And the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I led you up from Egypt. That gives us a clue to his deity. He's not saying your God led you up from Israel. That would be a winged creature, a created being saying, look what God's done for you. This is Jesus saying, I'm the one that did that. I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. This is what I said to you. But here's what's happened. You've not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be thorns in your side and their gods shall be a snare to you. I warned you this would take place. Putting them under tribute and putting them in their, in their place and keeping them under a leash is not gonna be good enough. Their gods are gonna become your gods. It's gonna snare you. It's gonna catch you. The food looks good to the rabbit until he gets caught in the snare. It's a trap. It's been set up. Satan never baits us with punishment. He never baits us with uh, consequences. That's what happens after we take the bait. The bait is always going to be good. Satan's bait is always appetizing. It's always appealing. It's always beautiful. There is never a threat until the noose is around our neck and we're struggling for a breath of air. We have to know that about ourselves. We are, if we're led by the flesh, we're subject to those temptations that Satan offers to us, which catches us in a snare. And so he says, I told you this would take place. In verse four, so it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voices and wept. They're crying. I say it like that because that's, that's all it is. It's wet cheeks. They don't turn. They don't repent. A lot of people cry when they get caught. A lot of people's mug shots are pitiful looking, but they're back at it and they get second, third, and fourth mug shots later on in their life, which shows us everything we need to know. I don't have a lot of pity for that. I, I, I'm glad when people come and, and, and cry and, and weep. I'm, I'm hoping that that turns to repentance, but that is not a sign of repentance. That's a sign of remorse. I wish I hadn't got caught. I wish this wasn't happening to me. How did I get here? Those are all worthy of tears, but the change is the sign of repentance. A 180 degree turn from the life you were leading to the new life in Christ, that's repentance, you see. Tears don't mean anything. And you'll find out whether those tears are real. I wouldn't necessarily give this as counseling advice because you don't do much counseling after this. But when someone's crying, I just say, you want to stop crying now? Let's talk about the rest of your life. You'll see right away that pride come up. They get mad. I'm weeping here. Can't you see that? I'm like, mm -hmm. it doesn't affect me at all. I want to know what you're going to do about it. What's your change? What's your plan for tomorrow since today you got caught? This isn't very compassionate. You're a pastor. You're not supposed to... Your pride's coming up, which means the tears are absolutely worthless, that you have no intention of repenting. And they don't like that. Nobody likes to get told that. So you want to make your counseling session short and get to the point. Tell them that. You can stop crying now. We're going to run out of tissue here pretty soon. Now let's talk about what we're going to do tomorrow. What are you going to do tomorrow? How are you going to change your life? You can come to church. 
You're going to read your Bible? Are you going to devote your life to God? Are you going to turn away from that area? You know, what are you going to do about that? Well, nothing. I was just going to cry. And they don't say that out loud, but these tears don't do anything for the nation of Israel. And neither do tears here. You'll see people reach all sorts of barriers in their life, frustrating barriers that cause them and bring them to tears. The best thing you can do for them is to help them to get over that, get over the crying and let's do something about it. Let's get over the barrier. That's love. That's help. That's what our Savior does. That's what our Christ does for us. He helps us get over these things and move on and have victory in these things. He's not content with being defeated and remorseful. There's nothing about that that's helpful to anybody, including the person with tears. The best thing you can do for them is say, look, we need to get, let's get a plan together. Let's do something. There's actually things you can do so you never find yourself in this place again. And God gives us that in his word. Here's what you can do to avoid this, this weeping. Verse five, then they call or called the name of that place Bochum and they sacrificed to the Lord there. Uh, to the Lord, they sacrificed there to the Lord. And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance and uh, to possess his land. So they even sacrificed to God. They even dropped off some sacrifice. This still didn't work. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord died. And this is where we go over that again. Now we're getting on track here died when he was 110 years old and they buried him within the border of his inheritance at uh, Timnath-Harris in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gash. When all the generations had uh, gathered together to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. And this is where we pick up the story. This is a whole new generation that's grown up. They've been, uh, they're going to become disobedient to God because they don't know what God's done. Um, they don't remember the Egypt. They don't even know about the wilderness of 40 years there and uh, the crossing of the Jordan or, or even uh, defeating all the cities. They, they don't know that stuff. They weren't there. They were just kids or babies at the time. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And this is their backsliding. And served Baals. These are the other gods. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtoreths. That's Baal's the male version, Ashtoreth is the female version and so on. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. So he plundered, uh, so he delivered them into the hands of plunderers who despoiled them and uh, he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around so that, he, so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity as the Lord had said and as the Lord had sworn to them uh, and they were greatly distressed. So God's got to bring them to the end of themselves. Um, you want to trust in Baal and Ashtoreth? Then this is who you're going to serve and this is what it's like serving them. He removes his hand of protection from them and they get plundered, despoiled, um, that's a great way to put it. They were spoiled. A spoiled kid is someone who receives all the blessings of God, but gives God no credit. And that's very important for us to understand. As parents, um, as kids, um, we use that term inappropriately, I believe, uh, or wrongly in this day and age. We say, oh, that kid was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He's spoiled. 
Not necessarily so. He's spoiled if he doesn't give credit to his parents or to whoever blessed him with all those things and doesn't, isn't a thankful person. That's a spoiled person. Um, someone who's blessed, God says, I, I, I make one rich and I add no sorrow to it. If that rich person gives God all the glory and credit for it and um, thanks him for the abundant blessings and knows that it's not of himself, but it's of God, that's not a spoiled person just because they're rich. Makes no difference. Um, that's, that's not it. A spoiled person can be the poorest person on earth and give no credit to the clothing on their back to God. It doesn't matter how much money you have in your bank account. It's your attitude towards the blesser that makes a difference. Israel's attitude towards God was, we have this stuff because we're hard workers, because we're diligent, because we love capitalism. Oops. Our country is great because we trust in God. Our country is not great because we're hard workers. Please understand that. A nation that rejects God will soon become non-hard workers and will begin to just feed off of itself and each other. And we're in that place right now. We remove God from our schools. We remove the Bible. We remove prayer. We're removing every evidence of him in any public life whatsoever. And we're beginning to devour ourselves now. And we live off those who do work hard because they have a work ethic, not because of their own intestinal fortitude, but because they love God. You know that Harvard used to be a, a, a seminary? It's hard to believe. Yale, all the best Ivy Leagues in the, in the, in the world started off as God-fearing, God-teaching, Bible-teaching places of education. And as the world sweeps in and God is removed from those places, they become dens of thieves, horrible places. We don't need to get our work boots on, although we do. But we need to get our work boots on because we love God and because we understand who started this nation and that it's by his divine hand that we're even here and have the freedom that we have. Very important. The nation of Israel gets despoiled here by their enemies. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them, that they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord, they did not do so. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judges and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judges. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groanings because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers by allowing other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not cease from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. And that is the cycle right there. As long as the judge was alive, they did, they did right in the sight of God. But when that judge died, they reverted. Then the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he said, because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers and has not heeded my voice, I also will no longer drive out, from, drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died. So that through them, these wicked cell groups, these wicked people left amongst the nation of Israel, through them I may test Israel whether they will keep the ways of the Lord to walk in them as their fathers kept them or not. Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out immediately, nor did he deliver them into the hand of Joshua. That sets us up for next week with our first, uh, our first judge is Othniel, um, and we'll get there. Now, I don't want to leave you there. It's kind of a depressing teaching this morning as we see this, and it is. 
I mean, it's hard to put a spin on it. You really can't. Except for there's an Othniel coming. Othniel's been alive during this whole time. Somewhere there are families in this nation of degenerates. These rejectors of God, there are families that are still serving God, that are still being able by God to be called upon to do. That's a small group here. You know, somebody said, we've got too many churches in Maryville. How many churches are in Maryville? There's like 20 churches in Maryville. How many churches you need? I'm like, we don't have enough churches. We don't have enough seats. If everybody in Maryville decided to come to Jesus and show up on a Sunday morning, we don't have enough churches. This is a small, relatively small group of, this is a small percentage. There's probably maybe 10% of Maryville that goes to church on a Sunday morning. That leaves a lot of room for evangelism out there. So just when you think that, well, I think everybody's a Christian. They all say they are. Guess again, everybody here says they're an Israelite. Israelite means governed by God, but they're not. They're not governed by God. Um, Maybe this morning you're one of those people. You show up at church, but you're, you're not governed by God. You just attend. That's not enough. God wants to govern you. He wants to rule over you. He wants not only to be your savior that you've got in your back pocket for hell, but he also wants to be your king, your ruler. And he wants you to be his servant and his follower. And so for those who are followers of God and you're here this morning, you're Othniel, you're Ehud, you're Deborah, you're Shamgar, you're some of these, you're Samson maybe, you know, lay off the women, by the way, if you're Samson, but (laughs) imperfect, but you want to serve God, you know, look for opportunities this week. You don't get these kind of teachings. We don't read over stuff like this just because God gives us his stuff for us to get our eyes open to the world around us and then realize, wait a minute, something needs to change here. And guess who he's going to use? This is the person whose eyes are open because of his word and is ready to hear whatever he has to say to them and then does whatever he asks them to do. Look for those, look for his voice. Listen for his voice. Look for the opportunities God will give you this week to be, this week, to be that judge wherever you may be. To be someone who needs to be the one that stands up for God. To be governed by him when all else and all others aren't. This Wednesday, we had a teaching. Um, it was interesting. The gist of it was for you people, not for me, of course, for, for you people. As I was teaching on Wednesday was that you need to have, because we're reading Titus, it's always good to have a Paul in your life, an older person in the Lord pouring into you. But it's always good to also have a Titus or a Timothy in your life that you pour into yourself, you know, so you're getting from one end and you're giving out to other people. It's always good to be right there in the middle, you know, to have that. And, and of course, I kind of figured I was set in that area. You know, I've got some Timothys and Tituses and I've got my own family and, 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 and plus folks here that, you know, listen and said, okay, I got that. So it was for you guys. So I'm taking out the garbage Wednesday night after Bible study, 11 o'clock at night, rolling it out there because I'm such an awesome husband. So I'm laying this garbage can out there and putting this stuff out. And this van comes kind of screeching up. 11 o'clock at night, a van comes screeching up. Not usually a good thing, you know. This guy hops out. And I know him, and I'm not going to say his name or anything. But he hops out and he goes, hey, I just saw you. So I thought I'd pull over. I'm like, yeah, okay, you know, whatever. (laughs) How are you? And we start talking there in the driveway. And he's excited about this, that, and the other thing. He's just walking with the Lord. He's just really getting, he's on fire for Jesus, you know. And uh, 
um, just excited. And I said, well, that's great. And I shook his hand, and that was it. And he stops. He goes, turns around and looks at me. He goes, I just want you to know you're, you're my mentor. And I, what does a mentor do? I've got to figure out what a mentor does first of all. I'm like, okay, well, great. He goes, yeah, my old one's, he's, he's gone. He's too far away, but I just want you to know I look up to you, and, I, and I, I really like it when we can, if we can sit down and talk sometime and do some, yeah, that'd be great. I'd really like that. And I'm thinking to myself, that's, that's the teaching I just taught. Some Titus just pulled up, screeched his van to a stop, not a camel, but a van, and jumps out and tells me, I want you to be my Paul, basically. And I bring that up because, first of all, it's every teaching's for everybody, including myself, and I know that. Look for this this week. And I'd love for you to stop me next Sunday and tell me, you know what, right afterwards, it wasn't an hour later or a day later or whatever, this opportunity came up and there it was, exactly what we learned on Sunday, you know. It's real. This isn't a philosophy class, you know. This is a real walk with a real living God who's very present in our lives, and you are really living water flowing out to other people around you, and you really get to be governed by God and used by him this week. Look for that opportunity, and then I'd love to hear about it, you know. If you want to tell me, you don't have to, but I'd love to hear about it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you teach us these things for our admonition, um, to show us and to look for um, what it looks like to be rebellious against you, um, how we get back to you, but also how to stay with you and to be used by you. We want to be these judges in our world. We'd, we'd like to be more perfect than these judges were, but we know we're not. We've got sins. We've got our own faults. But we're so thankful that as long as we want to be obedient to our king, you'll use us. So Lord, use us this week. Give us opportunities to be representatives of yours um, when no one else may be with us. But you call us, we hear your voice, and we answer that call. And um, I don't know, we look forward to it this week. So Lord, give us eyes wide open as we go through this week spiritually, Lord, to see past our schedules, uh, past all the things that we've got in our minds uh, or things that are going to happen this week, Lord, and help us to be really open and receptive to whatever you want to use us for this week in those circumstances and to be obedient to you, God. We love you. Bless these folks as they go today. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good week, guys.